0: Lord God, wake us up to a worship for you now this fall. In the midst of all this struggle, may our worship not stop. And all of God's people said, amen, man, amen. Well, we are launching a new series today as we get ready to dive into the fall here. And, uh, you know, it's been a crazy sequence of weeks and months. It's been a lot of bizarre different things going on. I can safely tell you that when we were talking about stepping into this new year back in December, we weren't even close to what we expected for what was gonna be going on this year. And man, when you look at the different uh, pandemic concerns, when you look at all the racial unrest, when you look at all the fear that's begun to grip, when you look at the different ways that businesses are trying to figure out how to manage, and there's questions all over the place, and then, we end up with the church really being hit in large measure on how to even gather and in what ways to gather. And Lord God, wake us up to a worship for you now this fall. In the midst of all this struggle, may our worship not stop." And all of God's people said, Amen. not even close to big enough, And all of God's people said, Amen. "Amen, man, that's what we're going after. And so we're diving into the book of First Timothy here, "Light the fire." Lord, light the fire in our souls, light the fire in our worship, light the fire in this church. Lord, may we begin to get maybe even back to where we were with some of the heat and the fervor and the fire and the passion. And Lord, may you begin to wrestle with each one of our souls as we go after this. First Timothy. So this is a book that was written from Paul to Timothy. We'll see that as we dive in today. It's written probably in the mid-60s A.D., so this is about 30-something years after Jesus went to the cross. Picture that. So God's just making a little statement. Picture that. And, right, and so the moment of time where Christ goes to the cross, where he dies, where he rises again, where they're not sure what's going on, they start to grasp the promise that they have in Jesus Christ. They begin to just dip their foot into the sea of the churches being planted and the Holy Spirit comes with power. All of a sudden, churches all over the place are getting planted. You have the dispersion, the pressing out of all these Jewish people who believe now in Jesus as Messiah and they're feeling persecution. They all start spreading out and the church everywhere starts growing. Now 30 years later, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, hey, I'm going to ask you to hang with Ephesus. Maybe you remember that name, Ephesus. It shows up actually in the book of Revelation as one of the letters to the churches being written, and they're like, yeah, you know a lot, but you've lost your first love. Like, really, the passion here is, Lord, help us to be a church on fire, as he starts teaching Timothy how to be a church on fire some 30 years after Christ, how not to lose what it's all about. The plan here is actually, picture it, have you ever seen like those champagne waterfalls, like where you pour it into the top glass, and then that sort of spills over into the next, those all fill up, then it spills over into the next, that all spills out to the bottom, and then they all fill, That's the goal here. Paul's pouring into Timothy, the pastor. He's pouring into the top, and he's longing to see him filled up with a plan and a goal, a passion and a hunger, and for that to start to spill to the church. So every single thing said to Timothy is, yes, and to the church. Everybody say, and to the church, right? So as we walk through this today, and as we walk through this through the whole series, we're gonna be seeing challenges to the pastor And then challenges, therefore, also to the church. May we be a church on fire. Okay, that's our goal. That's what we're going after. Love that God's bringing the storm right in the middle of it. Just to make it super crystal clear that he is with us. We've got a storm pouring down. We just talked about revival. Pour it on. Lord God, may you bring this with all we've got. Let's get serious about each word about each verse and about the hope and promise we can have as a church following after Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. all right, so we're going to 1 Timothy. Turn with me to the very beginning, 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. 1 Timothy 1.1, and the title here is uh, Message. We're going after sound doctrine. And so the message, it needs to be sound doctrine. A church on fire will always have sound doctrine. Point number one, uh, down with speculation, up with solid biblical truth and worship. Down with speculation, up with solid biblical truth and worship. Here we go. First Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He starts out, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Like He's making it super clear. Let me give a little bit of my resume. Don't forget who I am. I'm an apostle. There were very few of those. And these apostles, they were ones who had walked with Christ. They had met Christ. Remember, Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus as Christ shows himself and all of his power and authority knocks him off his horse, and then Paul ends up needing to kind of recover from that. He ended up, he was dead set against Christianity until he met Jesus, and then he was absolutely pro-Christ. He's like, I'm all in for Jesus Christ, and so Paul, an apostle, he's like, I met Jesus. I've been empowered by him. I have the responsibility of planting the church and the authority into the church. And when I teach into the church, God actually is empowering me. There's an inspiring to the apostles. And the apostles were ones that were writing in the New Testament so that they could follow the letters, all right? Paul, an apostle, like, yeah, I've got the right to be talking to you about how the church is run. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Like, I am giving you some of these thoughts as a command from God the Father to me and now to you, and then it'll be from you to the church. Can you hear the waterfall, the watershed plan in this, right? The command from God our Father and Christ Jesus, our hope. Man, Jesus Christ, he died for us and he rose for us. We have sin that has to be dealt with. We have a broken world that needs to be resolved. And Jesus Christ is, has the plan he is our hope everybody say our hope Jesus Christ our hope like don't miss that as we go into this now we're going to be seeing Christ all over the place as our hope he says Paul writing this now to Timothy my true child in the faith to Timothy my true child in the faith this is somebody that Paul uh, spent some time helping to raise up in the faith That's why he says, my true child in the faith, right? This isn't actually his biological son, but this is like a spiritual son. Paul's like a mentor to him. He's been pouring into his life over a number of years. He's been teaching him and helping him to come along, not only in understanding God himself or his word, but also understanding the church and the value of people on fire. And really, God getting all the glory as you help to raise them and shepherd them. He's like to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Let's go after this together. Let's partner in this together. May God get all the glory. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This was a kind of a standard greeting, if you will. He's like, grace, mercy, and peace. And really, it's like saying The goodness of God to you, right? The goodness of God to you, grace and mercy and peace. Grace, like God giving you what you don't deserve. And mercy, God holding back what you do deserve. And peace, the calm that comes with living in the midst of that blessing from God. Living out the blessing, satisfied and celebrating that your God is awesome. Peace in the middle of the storm. Peace no matter what's going on around my God is pouring in blessing inside my soul and I'm relying on him. Peace in the middle of a pandemic. Peace In the middle of the unrest all over the place, peace and an election coming up that puts a lot of things in question. Peace, because I'm leaning on my God first and foremost. Everybody just say, peace. That's where we're going, man. Trusting in him with all we've got. May we experience his grace, his mercy, and his peace. Now he begins to challenge a bit. He says, as I urged you, When I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons. Paul's like, I urged you. Really, this is like, I really tried to influence you. I tried to make this an important understanding of yours. I urged you when I was going to Macedonia. So Paul is beginning to travel. He's going to start moving again to plant another church. He's looking to head up north, trying to get some things done. And as he's beginning to go, you can imagine this is his uh, mentee, right? Paul's the mentor. He's the mentee. He's like pouring into him all the time. And he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about going to Macedonia. And Timothy was like, dude, I'd love to go with you. That'd be great. And he's like, no, I need you to stay here. I need you to hold down the fort here in Ephesus. And I'm going to be going up to Macedonia and see what God has in store there. But you remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons. Please notice what he did not say. No, no. You remain at Ephesus. It'll just be a sweet time of everybody being so encouraging to you. It'll be an easy moment in relaxation, and you'll just be really taking people out for dinners. You'll be encouraging them here and there, just saying sweet things to them, doing marriages for people. It's going to be an easy time. You stay here. Everybody's saying not that. Dude, not that. He's like, you stay in Ephesus and charge certain persons. That word charge literally means give them command. You step in, you hold the fort, you don't let them slide. You are here to make sure they understand where they need to go and where they need to stop going. You're going to have to make this clear. He's like, hey, no. You have the ministry of confrontation. enjoy it. I need you to stay in Ephesus and bring the charge to these persons. He said, hey, bring a charge to certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to teach any different doctrine. Now those three words in the English, teach different doctrine, that's all one word in the Greek, right? This word heterodidasca hetero like different and didaska meaning teach. So this teaching different things, grabbing onto other things and trying to make them important doctrine, trying to center people up on things you're not seeing in scripture, things you haven't heard from Paul, things you haven't heard at all. And these guys are trying to be like cutting edge on the doctrine front. Just so you know, if you find yourself beginning to say things that you've never heard anywhere else and you're like, I am awesome, I have discovered a new thing, you're probably wrong, right? Just so we're super clear, like we have to be really careful that if you feel like you're landing a new thing and teaching that, that's really probably not where God's wanting us to go with it. He's given us his word and we've had it for several thousand years to be digging into May we abide by that, and may we teach the doctrine that God has in his word. Ready? And all of God's people said. Huge deal. So let me just say this. I was going to actually give you a couple of doctrines that are different doctrines that are beginning to infiltrate the church. And, uh, And I pulled off of that because, honestly, it's changing pretty fast. And one week, it could be one thing. In the next week, it's another. In this current month, it could be something. In the next month, it's something else. So I decided to actually, instead of talking about the doctrines themselves, let's talk about the method to get to it, all right? So here's the top three wrong methods in walking through Scripture. Top three errors in reading Scripture, all right? And I'm just telling you, these three errors will cover every wrong doctrine out there there isn't a wrong doctrine that doesn't fall under one of these three errors all right so these three errors super encompassing as we go through this these are the things not to do everybody say not here we go number one adding to scripture adding to scripture seems really obvious doesn't it like where'd you get that I made it up like that's a bad plan right That's a terrible plan, and adding to Scripture, and and whether you're seeing the lines and you're trying to fill in between them, or you're seeing the line and you're trying to extend it, either way, adding to Scripture can be a massive, massive problem, and I just put it this way, don't build doctrine where God is silent. Don't build doctrine where God is silent, You know, if we start saying this needs to be added to, we literally are saying, God, I have no idea why you didn't cover that. You should have. Like don't build doctrine where God is silent. If he's chosen not to be super crystal clear on that, there's a reason for it. Leave it alone. Don't build doctrine there. So adding to it. Here's another one. Subtracting from it. Subtracting from it. This is like, I don't want to look at that verse. I don't want to hear about that. Maybe it's intentional, you're like, you read it, you don't like what it says, you're like, no thanks. I don't wanna deal with that. Maybe it's accidental, you know, you have your hobby horse verses, the things that really matter to you. And so you really go after those verses and you love those with all you've got. You pour into those, but what happens is you start creating a doctrine in your life that's very one-sided. It's not well-rounded, you don't have the whole counsel of God, you've got the narrowed counsel of something of God. And actually, while you're trying to execute that super well, you'll probably get errant in doing that because the reality is you're losing track of some of the other things you also need to be about that would help round out what that would even look like, right? We have to be super careful with that, that we're not just getting a hobby horse favorite in the way we go after things. And you know, example for that, maybe you're like, I love to love others. I love it. And there's awesome passages about that, and there's a huge statement about love others as you would love yourself, and being able to pour into other people, and, and being able to care for them, and caring for the poor, the fatherless, and the widows, and their affliction, and like you're an expert on the loving others thing. And that's awesome. But some of those verses about, you know, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, eh, you know, I get it, but I pull off of that a little bit. I really care for people well, and all of a sudden you're always giving food, you're always giving clothing, you're always dropping things off at someone's house, you're always making sure that someone is cared for somewhere, but you forgot about your worship of your God. That's an epic fail. May we not shorten up scripture and drop part of it. I loved others, what's wrong with that? Nothing. But make sure where the whole counsel of God is coming in. May we go after that with all we've got. Subtracting from, whether on accident or on purpose. And I'll tell you one of the easiest ways to subtract from is we just say, I don't think I'm going to read the word this week. I don't think I'm even going to get into it. Man, don't miss out on the value of digging into God's word. Just a little bit each day as you go after it. You know, we've got a reading plan that we put up on the websites. It's it's on our church app as well. Man, track with that reading plan. It tracks with the preaches of each week. And we put that together so it gives you a reading plan, just a little bit to read on Monday through Friday and gets you set up even for the next week's sermon. Friday is the next Sunday's sermon. And being able to grab that, if you have nothing else, do that. Just digging in a little bit, saying, okay, Lord, I'm giving you this little bit of time and I'm longing to hear from you and spending some time. Subtracting from, it can be an epic fail in your doctrine. Lord, I long to hear your whole counsel. And all of God's people said, huge deal, all right? Adding to, subtracting from, here's another one. Avoiding the original meaning. Avoiding the original meaning. Parents, hear me on this. You better be pretty aware of this one. This is being taught massively in the schools right now. Everything is based on relative truth. When you read it, how does it make you feel? That's what's being taught. And and for junior highers and high schoolers, it doesn't matter what that original author meant by that. It doesn't matter what they're saying. Just what does it make you think of? That's what's going on right now. Be careful with that that will always drift away from the truth that's trying to be anchored down. I mean, can you imagine when you try to write something to someone to get them to be able to understand, and then the first thing they do is they begin to redefine the words, then they redefine the phrases, then they extend and shift all of it, they make it all one big giant metaphor so it really isn't even saying what it looks like it's saying, this is what it makes me feel like, and then we move from there. And all of a sudden, the only captain to your ship is your own gut. Wherever you wanna go, whatever it feels like. No, I read God's word. No, you didn't. No, you let the words suggest something into your head and then you went after whatever you wanted to go after. We have to be super careful of that. This world is teaching. Never go back to author's intent. That's what this world is teaching. Don't listen to that, man. We will always go back. You see, right now we're walking word by word, phrase by phrase. What does that word mean? How does that word get set? What was he meaning by that? What was taking place when he wrote that? What does he mean? That's how we walk through God's word. Author's intent. So the first one, adding to it, don't build doctrine where God is silent. Subtracting from, don't drop doctrine where God has spoken. And maybe the third one here, avoiding the original meaning. Don't change doctrine just to match today's culture or your gut feel. Don't change doctrine just to match today's culture or your gut feel. And this is a huge deal that we go at the basics of Scripture, just let it be what it says and understand what the author originally meant, whole counsel of God. May the sound doctrine of God's word rock our world. And all of God's people said, huge deal. He actually goes on here. He says this sound doctrine. He said, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. In fact, this is how the Jewish people who had just been saved were doing it Uh, back in Timothy's time. Myths and endless genealogies, these fall under the add to plan, okay? That's what they were doing. They were adding to it, myths. They were like, okay, well, there's this story, and then there's this story, but what really happened in between? I think maybe what happened was this, and they made up a story, the myth. They literally were doing that, They were trying to fill in the gaps, and between stories they would make up stories. How did that person ever meet his wife? Made up a story. And they began to tell those stories as if they were also God's word. In fact, they began to teach off of them. From this myth, we can learn these things. And then they dropped the word myth. And now they're like, from this we can learn. And all of a sudden it sounds like you're in God's word. And he's like, don't be making stuff up, man. Don't be adding in between. Don't be extending to. Don't be trying to figure out the narrative and change the story or make it bigger. Let God's word be what it says. Myths and endless genealogies. That's where they actually took the genealogies and where they feel that it left somebody off, like maybe somebody's spouse and then who they married and then their kids and how that all would have come back together and they were making constant genealogies. Those would have been fun coffee shop times, huh? Constant genealogies as they're trying to build this up and then they build doctrine off of that and they're trying to teach people from their supposed genealogy that God never put in his word. There are genealogies in God's word and you know why they're there? Just so you know, Genesis chapter 3 says that the seed will stomp on the head of Satan and destroy him and so the absolutely important message to get is this, Jesus Christ is that seed So, from Adam and Eve all the way down to Jesus, you have genealogy. He's our hope. And all of God's people said, like, dude, there's nothing wrong with going through the genealogies that are in Matthew or wherever. Nothing wrong with going through God's genealogy. Just don't be adding to it. Endless genealogies. Hear what they're saying? Not God's written genealogy, but the stuff you're beginning to make up. They basically had an old school uh, you know family tree thing that they were trying to do as they tried to rebuild all of ethnic Israel's genealogies not that okay not the add to plan and that's what they were doing as they ended up going through these myths and genealogies it says which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith which promote speculation you know what that word means if I were to ask you if it's going to rain this afternoon, whatever answer you give is a speculation, right? You're like, no, Tim, I looked at the weather. It's still a speculation. The weather isn't even close to accurate. Like, I was looking yesterday and it wasn't supposed to rain this morning. How's that doing? right? Speculation. We're looking forward and we're trying to project. We're guessing. It's gut feel. This is what I think. It makes me feel this way. Speculation. God's word is when we read the words, we let the grammar say what it says. We define the words as they're properly defined and say, thus saith the Lord. And all of God's people said, stewardship by faith means, Lord, I am trusting you that you inspired men that this is your word, that it is absolutely inerrant and I am getting your command led by you. Faith that my God has a plan. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. Lord, may I read your word, not adding to it, not subtracting from it. Man, if you love to say these words, you know what that makes me think of? Back up, slow down and say, what does this mean? say make sure you camp on God's word the message of the sound doctrine of your God I'm telling you as you spend time alone with your God and you open up the word just say these words Lord God I am ready to hear exactly what you have to say nothing more nothing less rock my world now you start digging into his word looking for who he is and then when you're done with it you say Lord God here's what I've learned about you I'm in awe and you worship your king that's it it's that simple Lord God rock my world with what's true and then praise his name when you've actually found that truth and you're celebrating him okay that's what it looks like If we don't do that I'm just telling you all, too often we go for seeking hidden treasure rather than this revealed treasure. Seeking hidden treasure rather than the revealed treasure. Don't do that. God's given us a very clear message and he's longing for us to know what it is. Follow with him along the way. And um, You know, I'll just say this. Um, when we go the wrong way, when we don't go after a basic read and an understanding and then just a praying it back to him, when we don't do that, We end up building a house that's built on our own gut feel. We end up building a house that's built on a lot of emotions and feelings. Whatever's going on in the moment in my life really starts to control the house. And the problem is our house built on that form of doctrine ends up looking a lot like this. Right? That's actually somebody's house, man. Bummer, right? Look at the front steps. Do you see them over to the left? Those aren't doing much good anymore, right? And the problem is all too often we start building a doctrine that just shifts. It just collapses. It can't carry weight. We're not accurately tied to what God's thoughts are. We're tied to our gut feel and our gut feel changes and then everything collapses and slides. We're not aligned with him and what he's doing and we drift away. May our house not look like this. May our doctrine not be the shifting sands of our feelings and emotions. May it be God's rock solid word. Ready? And all of God's people said, how do I do it? So let's just throw the next slide up. This is really a simple understanding of how to get a strong foundation, all right? Please notice that the bottom is the doctrine You absolutely must build your understanding of God on what God's word says first and foremost. Doctrine. Also know this, by the way, the only thing I preach in here is the bottom. Doctrine. When we stand up, it's thus saith the Lord, and we open up to a passage and we walk it phrase by phrase and word by word. Make sure your anchor to your foundation is what does the Bible say? Absolute doctrine from God's Word, okay? What does the Bible say? That's your foundation. And from that, we now build up. I'm telling you, right now, the world is trying to sell a lot of shift in political understanding, in ph- philosophical understanding. Get back to the Word. Do not let the word move you away from anything other than God yourself. Amen. I'm telling you, man, let God's word be your anchored core center, all right? Doctrine. The next level up, thoughts and experiences and gut feels and, hey, man, those can enrich things. Those can give you an understanding of how God might be working in your life in that moment. Make sure that it's always anchored on what God's word says right? We end up with like, it's hurting right now. I think God doesn't love me. Uh. Wrong answer. Where did I get that? Well, my feelings kind of said that. I mean, Scripture says God is love, and I'm trusting in Christ as Savior, and it says that he's got my best at hand, and it says he may walk me through a tough time, but with a purpose, and he's going to grow me up. That's what Scripture says, but my heart says I don't feel like love. So which is it? Is it what scripture says or what my heart says? Man, make your heart always sit on top of and in alignment with scripture. Ready, this needs a big one. And all of God's people said. Dude, this is a huge deal. What does it say? Not just the experiences and the thoughts, okay? This isn't philosophy according to me as I sit around my coffee at six in the morning. This is what does God's word say. That's our anchor piece. That's our core. And and like I said, I will not be preaching the thoughts up there. And if I do, if I ever bring something like that, it's like this. Hey, just so you know, world according to Tim, everybody say it doesn't say that, right? Have you heard me say that around here? I say that every once in a while as I bring something out, like I'm just telling you, I think this could be a little bit of how it fits together, but don't anchor on that. It's not saying it specifically. I'm just saying you could see it kind of coming together. Otherwise, it might cause a confusion and leave it like that. That's a way, right? That's a thought, but God's anchored word must get the preeminent delivery, May we build a foundation that is sound doctrine. All right, simple question. So how's your foundation? How are you doing at digging into God's word and being able to build up your understanding, letting God's word speak to you? Not the gut feels, not the, hey, you know what it made me think of, but what does God's word say? How are you doing with that? right? Point number two, seek not to make a name for myself, but rather for Jesus Christ. Seek not to make a name for myself, but rather for Jesus Christ. He says, the aim of our charge is love. Remember, he just said to Timothy, I'm leaving you back in Ephesus so that you might bring a charge. Now he says, the aim of that charge, this is the exact same word, The aim of that charge, the reason you're going to be bringing that is love. Sacrifice. You on the line for them. You care for them. You want the best for them. We long for them to be grown in what they're going through. You're not trying to punch them because you dislike them. You're punching in on this problem because you care so much. Love is the center of this beginning to come alongside of. He says, the aim of this charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a pure heart, literally no sin, no selfishness, maturity along the way, a pure heart and a good conscience, a good conscience. This, uh, You know, the conscience is that awareness inside of you of what's right and wrong and a message to you that you're in line or that you're not in line, Right? The conscience is that thing that's actually talking to you about whether you're doing the right thing. It's a lot like a speedometer in a car, right? Like my wife has a speedometer in her car that actually gives you the speed you're going and it also gives you the speed limit in the area you're at right now, in the road you're on. So it literally puts the two up side by side. Like just so you know, this is how fast you're going. This is how fast you should be going at most, right? And it's got this little, it's like a conscience right on the dashboard, right? And like you look at the two and you're like, all right, I'll bring it down a little, right? And that's, that's what it's talking about. It's like a good conscience knows what the speed limit is and knows how fast you're going. A bad conscience, it tells you how fast you're going, but it's wrong. It misunderstands the motives or whatever. A bad conscience, it tells you what the limits are, but it's wrong. Right? No, this is a good conscience. It understands God's limits and boundaries and it understands exactly what's going on. And from a good conscience he's saying let's lean in and care and love along the way it says and a sincere faith a sincere faith uh, not hypocritical like consistent in what's going on he says there's a pure heart a good conscience a sincere faith he says certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion by swerving from, the, I love that word. They've like veered off for a moment. They come back every once in a while. You can't ever just say, you're never saying the right thing. Sometimes. And then they swerve off. And then they're talking about other things, vain stuff. And then they come back. What are the vain discussions? The made up stuff. Here's something I found in God's word. Here's the add to, here's the subtract from, and the focus I want to be on. And they make it all about themselves as they go. He's like, let's make sure we're not doing vain discussion. And then he says, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Have you ever met a guy like that? Dude, I'm telling you, this is exactly how the world works. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is exactly how it works. This is what it's like. And then they start to tell you things that are clearly made up. And as you listen, you're like, where do you get that from? What chapter and verse do you have that from? And they're like, chapter and verse? No, dude, this is insight. This is observation. This is, yeah, like, that's the world according to whatever that guy's name is, right? May we not call that doctrine. These guys were standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord. And then they gave their words they loved people following them. It says they love to actually be teachers of the law. Nowadays, people don't so much love to be teachers of the law. Actually, people today try to be teachers of grace, teachers of God's love, and they try to explain how it's more loving to be this than that, and they're expounding on, they're going well beyond what scripture says, and they're making up their views, and that's the stuff that you run into today. Man, be careful. These guys were making things up. They were bringing division, and it was a train wreck. As we look to be a church on fire, each one of us now individually, right where you're at, as we look to be a church on fire, are you ready to say, all right, God, your word, I'm ready to follow through. Maybe it's with the reading plan. Maybe it's something else, but God, I am ready on a daily basis to go after this. I'm ready to walk through this. You know, we got a study coming up grasping God's word in October. We're going to be building that study up and releasing that out so that you can go through that online, a way of helping understand the word in a bigger picture. But are you ready to be able to say, Lord God, I want to walk through this for you and your glory. Are you in on making much of Jesus Christ? I'll just say it this way. Let's close with this. Scripture is super clear about some things we can believe and count on so I'm just going to ask you to respond out just from what scripture says, just saying I believe. These are not things I've made up. This is what God's word says. I believe. Everybody just say I believe loud and clear. Yeah, louder and bigger. All right, here we go. Ready? I believe in God our Father. I believe believe in God the Son. I believe believe in God the Holy Spirit. I I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I believe that he is my hope. I believe that he is coming again. I believe that he is my God. I believe that I can be saved if I trust in him. I believe. Simply put, I'm in with you, God. This is your word. I anchor on it. This is my doctrine. I believe believe. May this be my rock-solid foundation. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Let's pray.